Spencer Frost, hey, come in. Yes. Woo! How you going? I'm going amazing. How are you going? Good. Is it early morning over there or? Oh, bro. Yeah, we're thro throthing. It's uh, 4.29. Oh, yeah. there we go. Yeah, let's do it. You want to get right to it? Let's do it. Pumped. Okay. Okay, let's go. Hello and welcome to Speaking From Water, episode 23. I have a true legend. He's only 28. He's done too much for, for most men. Uh, Spencer Frost has uh, gone all over the world. He, he got his chops in Iceland a few years ago with his movie Corners of the Earth. Um, he just got back from uh, Kamchatka a few months ago and has since created just the epic surf film of the year. It's winning all sorts of awards all over the world. Um, he's traveling the world, premiering it in movie theaters. And um, we are super excited to have Spencer with us today, live from Australia. We're not live, but this podcast is currently live. And um, Spencer, I'm, um, I'm honored to be with you. How are you right now in Australia at 8.30 in the evening? Mate, I'm good. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm, yeah, honored to be on this show and pumped to talk some stories. Yeah, bro. Well, well, you've done a whole lot. And uh, before we get going, I want to shout out um, your buddy who who um, who passed away this weekend, uh, Logan. Do you want to say a few words? Yeah, yeah. It's obviously incredibly upsetting and sad. And I uh, I went on a boat trip to the Mentawai Islands with Logan five years ago, and he was just the brightest young frothing grommet and incredible surfer and. Um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are going to miss him dearly. He, we had some amazing surfs and some good times together and it's a, yeah, definitely a bit of a tragedy what's happened. I saw your post yesterday and I read that the message from his uncle is very touching. Um, suicide touches a lot of people in this world. It touched uh, our ocean family here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Our ocean rescue captain took his life a few years ago, the late, great Jeremy Owens and, um, you know, it's the people who who never suspect need the most uh, help that don't reach out. And if you need help, um, there is help out there in the UK, US and Australia. Call 988 if you have um, such thoughts. And um, uh, with that, we'll um, we'll get to this podcast now. Excellent. Um, so your story is just incredible to me really uh you came onto my radar a few months ago and i saw this footage and i saw this helicopter taken off and it looked like a heli trip for a snowboarding and i was like what they're holding surfboards like what's going on here and my mind just exploded and i, I did a deep dive into your work and it, it's just absolutely incredible and before we we get going on on everything like how how has it been being so received throughout the world with this project yeah yeah it's been pretty crazy we yeah obviously last year we went on the trip and then finished finished the film it took about eight months to make the film and then since like february this year what are we in november now so we've had about nine ten months of touring the film all over the world and it's been yeah blown all of our expectations how well it's been received we had three 
tours all over Australia. We just kind of booked an encore tour and it sold out. And then we booked a second encore tour and it was selling out. And um, we toured through New Zealand. Then we went through some places in Germany. Um, and then we did a US tour. We're about to do France and the UK. And yeah, it's kind of just been crazy how well it's been received. It's, it's really cool going to these places and seeing full cinemas and people are just so like fixed on our adventure and we kind of get to relive it again through their perspective. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. Just happy to share the adventure and the stoke and yeah, we're, um, we're, we're pumped and hopefully inspire people to go off on their own adventures or do their own cool things in life. And it's so just amazing to see you guys premiering it in actual physical theaters one, since COVID, it's it's crazy that people um, are, are loving the theater again. I mean, it's not that crazy. It's it's just a natural place. But two, everyone has phones. So you, you could have just kind of released it digitally, but but you're bringing people together in, in stadium-style st seating. And can you kind of speak to that dichotomy this day and age where you're physically there together, watching it on the screen. It's like a throwback to the, the, the sixties and seventies when people were pre premiering surf films. Um, is that just maybe more common in Australia that am I, am I missing something? Yeah, I think because we put so much time and energy into this project and I feel like it would just do a bit of disservice or wouldn't do it justice if we just chucked it on YouTube or Vimeo or, one of those, I don't know, we just, we worked so hard planning the project and preparing everything and then being over there for two months and filming and, and then eight months of editing, what I was saying, like, once we get to the end of such a big project like that, you really want to like celebrate it and bring people together. And there was a lot of events where we, we didn't just show our film. We, we made like a party or like a, a drinks or an event or music played afterwards and, um, yeah, we just got to catch up with friends from like that we've had all over Australia and all over the world. And um, it's just such an awesome way to do it. And I think surf films still have such an important place in, uh, in cinemas. Um, obviously, social media and YouTube and all that it has its place as well. And I don't know, we just thought, why not shoot for the moon? And we really want to just like yeah, share it with everyone. We had some cinemas that were like 700, 800 plus people and it kind of to sit back and watch that many people in one space enjoying what you've created. It's um it's a pretty special feeling and then yeah, obviously like we we would do a Q&A and we would have a chat after every show and without fail a lot um so yeah it's good you just want to show up you want to talk to people you want to meet people and yeah share the adventure share the film incredible and you you have a whole team behind you in this project lots of people and um i want to get to the whole story but before we get there i want to kind of uh, get to know you and how you became the the photographer, the videographer, the artist you are today. And um, what you're you're born in Avalon. That's a northern beach in Australia. And 
uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how it is that you um, got just enthralled with the water and the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So I'm from a, a little surf town called Avalon Beach. And um, it's probably an hour out of Sydney, which is kind of Australia's biggest city. Um, it's far enough away to not be caught up in the city bubble, but it's also close enough if you need to jet over and go to the airport or do some work in the city. And yeah, I love it here. It's kind of my base camp. I probably spend more than half the year traveling and working and doing various projects. So I've got a pretty good space here that I can come back to and reset and try and stay healthy. And yeah, that was kind of, that's kind of what, what you do when you live here, you surf. And if you don't surf, it's actually, you're like a bit of an outcast because everybody surfs here. And um, I was trying to kind of do that professional surfing thing. And I was just never that good enough, but a few mates kind of transitioned on to the qualifying series and chasing that dream. So I just decided, Hey, let's pick up a camera and follow their journey. And yeah, and I got to do a few cool trips and then, through that, it kind of went on to more kind of commercial work and kind of a little bit outside of the surf world and the surf industry. And now I kind of bounce between the two and um, yeah, I love it. And then make these big projects when I get the time and when I'm feeling inspired. What, what was your first, um, I guess, moment where you were like, I want to, I want to travel. And what was the precipice or thing you saw that, that you said to yourself, this is something that I need to do. And then how did you go about making that happen on your first experience? Yeah. So when I was well, 16, I, my mate's parents bought a property in Lombok, Indonesia. Um, and they said, Hey, if you want to come over, you can come over. Like, and it was pretty, as a 16 year old without your parents, it's pretty full on to convince my parents to let me go to remote Indonesia and go and party and drink beers and surf and do all the things you do when you're 16. But somehow my parents said, yes, you can go. And I, um, yeah, flew to Lombok on my own and met up with my mates. And that was kind of the first international surf trip that I went on and was like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is the coolest thing ever. There's waves all around the world. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of freedom. So after that trip, I kind of went back to school for two years, finished school. And then that first gap year, I kind of just traveled around the world surfing and was, would come home, make, make a little bit of money. And then I'd go off again and just go surf. I went to, yeah, all over South Africa, through the South Pacific, back to Indonesia. Um, yeah, had a pretty good gap year of just surfing all over. And then kind of after that, I kind of transitioned and was like, this traveling is so awesome and it's so fun and I could just keep doing this and surfing, but why not let's try and kind of tie in a bit of a career. So yeah, I started picking up a camera, as I said, and I was filming my mates and that's kind of, that's kind of how it all kind of inspired me to, um, to keep on going and keep on traveling. And yeah, since then, I feel like I've traveled heaps to all different corners of the earth and excuse the pun. 
And then, uh, yeah, I would, I've just got some cool things coming up in the future. And then we have some really big potential plans far in the future that we'd like to keep pursuing. Yeah. I want to get all, all to that. Uh, what, what was that first camera you, you picked up and was it, did you go straight into the water with it or were you shooting land and how did that, how did that evolve? Yeah, we, we always kind of had a camera in our family when we were growing up. You've kind of, a lot of people just have like a little handy cam or like a little tape camcorder. And we would, um, we would always just take turns filming when we were really young, like me and my brothers and all my mates, we would go down to the beach, set up a tripod and you'd, you'd get 15 minutes and filming and then you'd swap over with the next person and they would come in, you'd swap over and you'd make these little surf films and surf edits. And I remember sending them around to like messaging on MySpace, I think it was at the time, like Quicksilver and saying, can you sponsor me? And um, no one ever replied, but that was kind of what we, what we would do. We'd just film each other surfing, make these little edits and try and get sponsored and get some free stickers. Um, but yeah, it was just those little, little handy cams. I had an OG GoPro that was actually film photos. Um, so I used to take that out in the water. That was my first underwater camera. Um, and then I eventually kind of worked my way up a little bit and, um, yeah, I've kind of progressed and I use, use a piece of camera technology for maybe a year and then I'll sell it and move on. And now I kind of feel like I've probably got one of the best cameras in the world that I can shoot in the water with. So I've come a long way from the OG GoPros and the dad cams. When do you feel like you started developing your your philosophy with angles and even even cuts and the whole the whole process? It, is it a continuous evolution or did you right when you started working with the stuff feel like, oh wow, I have a knack for this? Uh, I kind of think the opposite. I never thought I was the most skilled. I'd really like I a lot of other people were pursuing creative ventures like cinematography or photography or filmmaking and i would always look at them and just be like how the hell are they making everything look so good and i don't know how to make stuff look good and it might sound silly if you kind of see my recent work or watch my film or like i really was never the most talented or had very much skill behind a camera or i don't even think i was that creative if i was uh, maybe really doubting myself, but I did work hard and I was very passionate. I think I was probably more passionate than most people about trying to just make it work. And then I think through that and through hustling and working hard and just getting to the beach and filming every day and taking every opportunity that was thrown my way. If you want to come on this trip, I'd go on that trip. If I wanted to, I don't know, make this little edit for a free wetsuit, I'd go and do that. And I think just hard work and dedication i've kind of honed my skills but yeah in saying that i'm still learning every day like i go and go on shoots and learn something new or i work with different creative people and i'm i'm always open to learning and i don't think that'll ever stop i hope it never stops yeah your your recent work i was watching and it's just absolutely superb and if anyone hasn't seen it please visit spencer's uh instagram he's got corners of the earth at um is it at corners of the earth on instagram i need to figure that out i think yeah it's... I, I believe it is and then you have spencer at spencer yeah. frost and man like 
in two seconds, you'd be like, holy moly, this guy's got it going on. Your track performance, <laughs> everything, like your your use of the gimbal, um, the the drone the drone footage, everything's just mind-blowing. And then you combine that with the the Arctic weather and the the rawness of the situation. It just makes your head explode. Uh, I, I want to go first to your what really kind of puts you on the map worldwide, and that was your trip to Iceland. Tell me how you kind kind of came about saying to yourself, "I'm going to go from Australia across the world to Iceland," because that's about as far as away you can get from where you are, and and it's cold, and you're used to being warm, and there's just so much uh, dichotomy there that's um, opposite. What 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 was it in you that said, "Whoa, I, I need to do this"? Yeah, I think between myself and Guy Willamette, who's kind of my partner in crime, and he's an incredible photographer and co-director of our last film. He, um, yeah, we've been best mates surfing together since we were probably 13. Um, and he inspires me so much and we push each other a lot and it's good. We're a kind of good duo. Cause I'm always doing the film side of things and he'll always be doing the photography side of things. And then we can kind of meet in the middle and do these passion projects together. Um, so yeah, we kind of traveled all over the world and we did a bunch of trips and, to all the warm water surf destinations. Like we we're in Hawaii a bit and Indonesia and Fiji and all the, all the usual stops. But I don't know, we just kind of wanted to try something new and try something different. And I don't know, Iceland, like we'd seen shots from Chris Burkhardt and Ben Wyland and those guys kind of pioneered the cold water surf realm for years before us. And we were so inspired by those guys and just what they were doing and, how they were just finding pumping waves in these remote cold areas. And we were just, yeah, we were pumped to try and do it ourselves. And Iceland just seemed like the, the good hit. I feel like it's, it's a bit, it's kind of like an accessible cold water surf destination. I feel like it's, it can be very dangerous and very cold and very remote and wild, but you can also just like fly there from any major city and get a rental car and, go and do it and a lot of the waves are actually pretty much on the side of the highway that goes around the whole circle of iceland so we were just pulling over in these random spots and we'd see this beach break or river mouth or point break and be like oh shit that's a wave let's go surf there so i think it's i don't want to say accessible because it's still cold and miserable and gnarly but if you want to do it it's actually not that hard to go and do it and it's an incredibly cinematic and visually mind-blowing place to do something creative and like a film project or a photo series and I guess that's why so many creatives travel to Iceland because it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in the world so yeah that was basically the reasoning we wanted to go surfing and get shots of surf in the snow and cold and just have that sense of adventure and if we could make a feature film and a project out of it that was just a, a massive bonus and so yeah myself and Fraser Dovell who was a an um, aspiring professional surfer at the time and Guy Willamette my best mate we just set off two months um, headed to kind of northern Europe and did some time in Scotland and Ireland and then yeah we spent three weeks in Iceland and we got incredibly humbled and heaps of stuff went wrong a little bit of stuff went went right and yeah we definitely came home to came home to tell some stories and then yeah that film basically kind of 
when it went all around the world on a festival circuit. I think it played in like 40 festivals in the in the end and it won some awards and a few little accolades. And through that, we basically used that as a case study to pitch to brands for our next big project, which was Kamchatka. Now, before we get to Kamchatka, I want to kind of juxtapose the two because I, from what I understand, when you're in Iceland, you you had you know, self-funded. It was, it was pure passion. You, you were there on your own. I, I also understand a lot of it was filmed on an iPhone. You didn't have your red cameras, all, all the fancy gear you, you have today. Um, how, how was that uh, shooting then? And um, what do you say kind of to the fact that it's more about the doing than it is the equipment and that kind of philosophy? Yeah, I think <laughs> for sure, you're just going to have to, you're going to, for these trips, you're really going to want to, you're going to want to want to be there. Like if you don't want to be there and you're doing it for some other reason, then just being totally invested and totally passionate. There was both trips that we did. There was so many times where we would have just thrown in the towel, had a tantrum, said, stuff this. I'm going back to Australia where it's warm and cozy and nice. And I don't know, we just, we were so motivated to do these projects. And I think as, as the team, like the team of three of us in Iceland and the team of four of us in, in Russia, we were, we really just like kept each other motivated and frothing. And if anyone was having a bad time, we'd just trying to bring them back to reality. And, and yeah, I think like Iceland, I, I still had some pretty good camera gear in Iceland, but um, you were right in saying like Iceland was totally self-funded. I was kind of just getting, getting a, a hand on like making films and using cameras and camera tech and stuff. And guy was very new to photography. So he was, yeah, I was, I was in the game for a few years, but he was pretty much just getting started. Um, and then, yeah, to ju juxtapose to Russia where we had like a huge budget and we were flying in helicopters and all the camera gear, three red cameras, drones, underwater housings. Yeah. It, it's so different, but I don't know. There was something so core about that. OG Iceland trip that we were just punting basically. And we had a crappy rental car that I don't even think it was a four drive. And we were there in the middle of winter where there was a meter of snow on the roads at some point. And yeah, I feel like those moments where you are just winging it and hoping for the best. And sometimes you really get stuck and sometimes it was dangerous and scary. And we thought, what are we doing here? But I don't know. I think it just makes for the, makes for the adventure and makes for the stories to tell. Can you give us one story there where, where it really stands out where you were like, what am I doing here? What was it? A, what, what happened? Yeah. So in Iceland, it's actually in the movie and I thought we, we filmed it really well. I think that part of the movie was actually filmed on an iPhone, but basically we, we had an app on our phone that would tell us when the Northern lights were going to be showing the brightest. And if you haven't seen the Northern Lights, I'm sure someone's told you before, but it's just this absolute spectacle, natural phenomenon that I think everyone in their life needs to see them at least once. I, it, you can't even explain how incredible it is. Um, so yeah, we got lucky in Iceland the first few nights. We saw them pretty good, but there was one night that was forecast to be the mecca of all Northern Lights nights. So to see them at their fullest, you need to basically drive as far away from any artificial lights as you can. So cities or towns or streets. So 
we basically just drove off into the distance up and around a corner and up a mountain pass and middle of nowhere because we thought let's get total pitch black to really see this this night sky pop and we stopped the car on the side of the road and we put the hazard lights on and all of us kind of got out and we ran over into this snowfield. We were setting up our cameras and the Northern lights kind of started to show and we were getting excited. And then, and then guy basically said, Hey, um, my battery's dead. I'm going to run back to the car and grab a camera battery. So he runs back to the car and he, he, for some reason, I'm not sure why, but he tried to turn on the ignition of the car and between us running over to the field and going back and leaving the hazards on because it was so cold, the battery had died in the car. So basically we were like on our own in Iceland, minus 20 degrees, which what is that in Fahrenheit? Well, I'm not sure. Gnarly. Like well, well, well below freezing, middle of the night, knowing three young surfers from Australia, we didn't have any backup plan, any food, any sleeping bags, anything basically. And, battery was dead we were definitely on a road where nobody was going to come and drive on that road at night and totally on our own and yeah that was just a moment where we're being like wow we are in a lot of trouble here because we will probably freeze if we try and sleep here and yeah basically went into kind of troubleshooting problem solving mode and um, I called like the car rental, basically roadside assistance. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in America, but we have NRMA in Australia. And if you're in trouble, they'll come and help you. And he basically said that you had gone on a road that you are not covered under any of the rental cars insurance or for the rescue. Um, and his words were, it's going to be filthy expensive, um, for them to come and get us. And then he kind of proceeded to say that he probably wouldn't be able to send someone out until the morning. Um, even though we kind of stress that we are in a lot of trouble. So yeah, we kind of waited and just waited for him to call back. Cause he said there was maybe a chance and probably waited like an hour, an hour and a half. And then just for some reason, I just, we all crossed our fingers and prayed and I just turned off, we turned off all the lights for the past hour and a half. And I just, slowly just click the ignition and the car started dude that's an epic story that's so yeah. epic i haven't Man. told that one in a long time it felt felt good to read that one <laughs> I, I i feel you i feel you in my heart oh well that uh that gave you the chops then to say hey i, I can do anything and um let's let's go to kamchaka uh so let me let me build this for a second you're it's um it's COVID period and you're like, okay, well, were you first thinking of Kamchatka or were you thinking of Kamchatka during COVID? Like how, how did that happen? Yeah. So after Iceland and after we kind of finished that film and kind of got, got a few, yeah, accolades, as I was mentioning and toured it, toured it around the world, we basically said, where else can we go? on our planet that has cold water pumping waves and ideally someone somewhere that not many people have been or, or no one at all. Um, and so we basically, we looked at like the top of Norway up to the Arctic circle, which has definitely been surfed a bunch and similar, it seems a little bit similar to Iceland. It's pretty, a pretty accessible 
surf destination. Um, waves look sick. I, I still haven't done Norway, but I'm, it's on my list. And we looked at Alaska and kind of all around that area. Um, yeah, a bunch of other areas. And then we basically just Kamchatka, Russia. <clears throat> we'd, we'd seen that some crew had been up there in summer to do a surf trip. I know Chris Burkhardt and um, Dan Gadiaskis and a few crew went up there about 10 years ago. But then actually um, Curran and Ted Grambo and those crew went up there about 20 years ago in summer. So Kamchatka and surfing wasn't this like total foreign area, but the more we looked into it and the more we kind of researched, we realized no one had been in wintertime to do a surf project. Everyone's only kind of gone in summer. Um, and then we kind of just started looking for inspirations and ideas and just any references of the area. And um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Travis Rice did a snowboard film in Kamchatka. Uh, it was called the fourth phase or a, a section of his movie. And yeah, in his movie, he's flying around in these big ex-military helicopters and looking for the craziest lines down these massive volcanoes. And the whole film, we were just mind exploded of how crazy the potential would be to do a surf film. And there's a little glimpse of the coastline in his movie. And you see like a four foot pretty pumping right left point break on this remote coastline and we were like holy shit there's waves there in winter and so from that we went and looked at like old uh weather maps and swell maps because you can kind of look back in time and see the trending different swells and winds and everything and kind of what we what we found is like every year there's like these two massive storms pretty much two or three huge storms it's kind of like six meter plus swells that hit this coastline. And then there's these storms that come inland over Siberia and basically blow these crazy West winds, which is offshore winds. And that massive swell just gets totally groomed. And like we saw on, you can see on the charts, there's like traveling surfers. And we've kind of looked all over the world at like weather maps and surf charts and swell charts. We kind of know when there's good waves, there's big swell, long period offshore winds. And we basically saw this little window of like two days after these swells where the waves were on paper pumping. Um, and yeah, we were basically like, holy shit, like no one has done a cold water surf project in Kamchatka. And there's these windows of amazing waves hitting this coastline. And the coastline is ginormous. I think it's 1300 kilometers, which I, th I think it's like a thousand miles. Um, and there's zero access. There's no roads. There's yeah, no access to the beach. You basically have to get a snowmobile or a helicopter pretty much that whole coastline. So yeah, the door was kind of open to do something that no one had done before. Um, and then moving forward, the more we kind of looked in that, the more we realized why no one has done it before. Well, I just want to pause and have anyone listening Google this 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 location because if you look at the images, it's absolutely beautiful. And most of these images are taken in the summertime. I, I can tell because it's very greenery and uh, but the volcanoes, the 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 blue lakes, the it, it's absolutely outstanding. And the peninsula itself is is a marvel. Uh, okay, so you're 
you're in the the COVID period, and this is kind of like a planning period. Is am I right here? Yeah. And yeah, you're 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 getting everything to, together. Um, you're you you really don't know what you're going to be doing. So how how is it that you were like, okay, what what what's my plan of attack here? How how did you start gathering the 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 process? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. COVID COVID was happening in Australia, and we got very locked down down here uh basically couldn't leave australia it was very hard to leave and i think that kind of inspired us and gave us the time to just plan and do cool stuff we were very lucky here that our government gave us like a salary to because there was no work happening and no one could really leave their area or even their houses so we got money to survive uh and we didn't have to work so we just took that and we just use that time and that kind of that free time to plan and prepare. And basically to get started, I, we were looking at references and I would, I basically wrote a little introduction message. I said, my name is Spencer Frost. I'm a filmmaker from Australia. Uh, we would like to come to Camp Chaka in winter to make a surf film. Is that, has anyone ever done this before? And do you know anyone that can help us? Uh, we have a Russian friend in Avalon and she basically translated roughly into Russian for us. And I basically went on an Instagram DM spree of whoever I could find that lived in Kamchatka. And I sent them this little blurb introduction message and probably messaged maybe 20 people. And um, yeah, the first person that got back to us was uh, his name was Anton and he's actually a local surfer from, from up in the area, which was so cool to, hear from a surfer and he basically was just saying it's my dream for people to from australia to come up here and surf and um it was our dream to go to cam chucka so it was kind of a match made straight away and he said no one's done a surf project in winter but if you guys want to come up i'm happy to be your local tour guide and show you around and basically throw everything at it and then um another guy that got back to us name was max and he coincidentally was the same uh logistics and guide that did travis rice's film in the area and he basically had the helicopters he had the snowmobiles he had world-class guides to help us uh, he had a lodge up in the mountains that he put us up in for two months and yeah pretty much with them two on board we were very very set up for possibly success or definitely getting up there and getting around um, and then we basically, yeah, got them two on board and got on zoom calls every few weeks with them. And yeah, they basically just said visas are the first step. It's really hard to get a visa traveling to Russia, especially at the time we were trying to go because COVID shut their borders as well. Um, and then, yeah, six months of hustling for a visa. We, yeah, it's still Still not sure how we got it, but Max spoke to someone at the government and knew someone that knew someone and they ended up getting us in on like a humanitarian visa to help document the area of Camp Chucker. Um, and then apart from that, custom made wetsuits, getting the boys surfboards dialed in, getting all our camera gear dialed in. It was, yeah, six to eight months of planning, preparation, meetings, logistics, visas. Yeah. I could make a whole movie on just getting ready for the trip. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that and that really I found really fascinating doing my studies on, on you in this project was then how you went to pitch the companies that funded the trip because the trip was hundreds of thousands of dollars and and you needed to tell them, hey, you're going to we're going to do this amazing thing. But you at the end of the day, like really didn't know you were going with this gut feeling, but but you you sold it like like a, a top salesman. And they they came they they came with, with it and and set you up. And and then and then what what I found most incredible was that, like, you you get the funding. You, you do all your Zoom meetings, you, you, you get the whole package together, you get your talent on board, the talent's like, yeah, we'll go on the surf trip. And um, well, bef before I go too much into this, can you speak a little bit about that? And like, how, how it was that you sold it? And that salesmanship? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a full sale. Because to be honest, we had no idea if we were going to find good waves up there, we would, we basically were just <laughs> I don't want to say lying, but wishfully promising and um, convincing that we were going to find pumping waves. And there was these, there were these waves that no one surfed before, but to be honest, we had no idea if we were going to find good waves. We were just kind of going off a three second snippet of what we saw in Travis Rice's film, that there was actually swell and good waves up there and basically use that to yeah, in, just pitch. We had literally had that screenshot of that, coastline shot and we had that at the front page and then we had all the crazy adventures we were going to be doing and yeah we we built out this document like a director's treatment pitch document and showed it to a bunch of brands a bunch of brands that we kind of had some sort of affiliation with already but a lot as well that we hadn't met and yeah we definitely got not laughed at but we got kind of sent back out the door on a few and a few brands jumped on board and um, we're so thankful for the guys that did jump on board. Um, but yeah, we definitely, definitely got humbled at a few meetings. Someone said, there's no way I'm going to fund this for you guys. And then he actually came and watched the film when we premiered it and said, wow, I'm really bummed that I didn't throw in money for this. So full circle, but um, we just said, Hey, there's, there's going to be more. So we'll come knocking. Um, well, you know, but yeah. It <laughs> Sorry, hey, bro. No, yeah, it, it reminds me of like studying history and how Columbus wanted to go to America. He he wasn't necessarily like all about Spain, but he he convinced the Spanish government to to fund him through these these mystical dreams he had. And dude, you're a modern day Columbus. Like you you're an explorer to the max. And I salute you and just big ups, respect. Thank you, bro. Yeah, bro. You want to um, shout out those sponsors that went on board real quick? Yeah. So Project Blank is a wetsuit company out of Australia and they, they were the kind of leading sponsor. We, we kind of, yeah, we offered the top tier presented by sponsor to all the brands and they basically straight away were like, we're on, that's us. Um, they custom made us all wetsuits for the trip. We all got two weddies that were six, five mil uh, extra extra wool all sealed epic weddies kept us warm on the trip uh heli hansen which is kind of a world-renowned outerwear company they gave us the craziest clothes for the trip gopro and red digital cinema uh, hooked us up with cameras two awesome brands um canon gave guy his steals cameras 
uh, rusty surfboards, misfit surfboards, both threw in and supported and also custom made the boys 12 boards for the trip. Um, we had a CBD sponsor, just made of ours that wanted to be involved and help fund some of the stuff, uh, Verd, Verd Remedy. Fishbowl, which is a fast, like a healthy fast, fast food chain, which uh, one of the boys is sponsored by. Fraser's got a sponsor with them. So they help support the trip. Oh, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, if you think some of any later, hit, hit them brands. up. Yeah. I, will, I would like to shout out the sponsor of this podcast, Tama T. Have you heard of Tama T, Spencer? Have not. Yes, well, Tama T. Yeah, it's very tasty. I'll see if they can send you a box. I would love some. It, yeah, it's a it's high energy, all natural energy from the tea. It's much caffeine as a cup of coffee, but healthier for you. Um, these boys are local here to Wrightsville Beach, but they're going worldwide. They're going to overtake Red Bull, and um, it's amazing stuff. Spencer, he he um, excuse me, you're Spencer. My my dude Wells and Rocco created this tea, and um, it's sparkling, and um, yeah. So thank you, boys, for uh, for making today's podcast happen. But let's get on to Kamchatka. Okay, so you got everything together. You're uh, you're ready to go. You you fly to Russia. Okay, now this is this is so crazy to me, man. Like you get to Russia, you're in Moscow. And that's the day, February 24th. Are you with me? Do you hear me? Hello? Hello. Okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you, you, you froze for a second. Okay. That is the day Putin invades Ukraine. All right. So tell me tell me how this um, made you feel. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty crazy time of all of our lives. Basically, we, as I mentioned, we spent the the year or two of COVID dreaming about this project. And then we had eight months of planning, preparation, visas, all the things that we had to do. And finally funding locked in, trip locked in, everything was in place. Anton and Max were ready for us to arrive. Trip of a lifetime. And we uh, boarded the plane in Sydney. And basically as we landed in Abu Dhabi, which is kind of the, the layover to get to Moscow, um, walked out of the into the airport and all of the screens in the airport were cnn all the new all the biggest news stations in the world basically saying russia has invaded ukraine and this was yeah three hours away from our flight into russia um and it was pretty it was a yeah incredibly stressful time we we had no idea what to do and uh we basically all went and sat in this little irish pub in abu dhabi airport and the, the wi-fi or the internet was just like really bad and we were trying to tr we couldn't really call our family we could only kind of text and um we were texting and the people over in moscow and in kamchaka and we we're saying should we still come is it okay and they were kind of saying you're in safe hands like just get here and then people back in sydney were saying do not get on that next flight just come home and or even just like hang in abu dhabi for a day or two and see just see how it plays out because no one really know what was what was happening. It was so new and so fresh. And yeah, we basically kind of got together as a team. And I don't know, we, we still don't still. Yeah, it's, it was so such a hard time of all of our 
lies because at the end of the day, it's it's just a surf trip and we didn't want to do anything like too reckless for the sake of just doing it. So I don't know, we kind of got together and <clears throat> after the reassurance of everyone over in Russia, we just said, hey, let's just take it one step at a time, keep together, stick as a crew. We're just going to get on the plane and try and get to Moscow. And um, if that goes sweet, then we'll just kind of stay stay in Moscow for the night and then we fly 10 hours to Kamchatka. So we're so far away from anything that was happening there, but just had to get there. So yeah, basically went to, went, went just committed and went on get, went to get on our plane and sat, got on the runway, sitting on the runway about to take off and then just stand still, nothing. Um, probably sat there for half an hour, an hour. And then, yeah, the, the captain came or the pilot came on and just said, we, um, all flights are grounded basically flying over Europe. So our plane can't take off. And, um, he was just waiting for some sort of word from someone of authority, the flight desk or flight dispatch, whatever it was called. And yeah, we kind of just like sat there and, um, went and spoke to the flight attendants and they were kind of saying just because what's, what's going on, our, our plane basically had to, was meant to be flying up and to the east, which would have kind of bordered over Ukraine. Um, that's the usual flight path. And then we, we couldn't go that way, obviously, because it was so serious what was happening and the flight attendants kind of asked where we were from and we were said Australia and they said, you guys are idiots. Why are you still on this plane? And, um, yeah, people were getting off the plane. People had like people in business class had paid tickets and they were like, we're not flying. We'll just stay in Abu Dhabi. So yeah, I don't know. It was, it was kind of stressful in our minds. It didn't seem like too reckless, but then when you hear people like that saying that stuff, it kind of, yeah, made us kind of rethink a lot of things. And yeah, four hours we sat on the runway and didn't move. And it was um a lot of time to think about our, decision to commit and get on the plane and basically yeah then the captain came on and said hey we can um we found a new flight path we're going to kind of go over to the west and go <clears throat> i'm not sure over it's like over Uzbekistan, i think it might be so wrong but basically do a big loop around and come into moscow the other way and yeah basically he said wheels up we're uh, taking off and yeah once that plane kind of took off from there we really strapped in for the ride before we get to moscow i understand your your parents actually called you up and were like hey don't do this and a, a lot of people you know in their 20s they're listening to their parents very closely um how was it as as someone who was very uh passionate about what they were doing but also someone who loved their family uh, how, how did you combat that internally and, and then say, Hey, I'm forging on with this. I think a lot of people could relate. Yeah. I, one of our, one of the crew's parents said, do not get on that. Oh, plane. So this wasn't your parents. Not my parents. My parents gotcha. said, go and do it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Okay. They love, they, <laughs> they love me and they care about me, but I think they, they were obviously yeah. worried, but they, they saw how, how dedicated and passionate we were about it. And we we're all pretty smart and <laughs> I don't know, we might seem like we do pretty reckless and wild things sometimes, but we're, we're all pretty calculated and we're not out there to 
cause trouble or anything else like that. But yeah, one of the boys' parents said, do not get on that plane. Um, and it was incredibly hard, I know, for him to go against that advice, as it would have been for me if my parents said that. Um, but yeah, we just, yeah, it was very hard. It was hard as well because it was kind of three of us being like, we should really do it. And then there was one that was kind of like, what? Well, I really don't think we should do it. So as I said, stick together one step at a time. Um, and yeah, just try and try and just keep safe. And yeah, um, that's basically what Excellent. we did. So you enter, uh, you fly into Moscow. Tell us about this immigration experience. <laughs> yeah, that's another another crazy experience on this trip. Basically, we landed into Moscow and lots of stress getting there and basically just like landing and thinking, okay, like <clears throat> flying into Russia, a lot of people have said immigration is pretty strict, but you have your story, you have your visa, you have your invite because you need an official invite from the government to enter Russia. We had all of all the things, passports, visas, and basically went up to the passport desk and uh, I scanned my passport and it kind of made like a like one of those no go noises. Didn't sound good. And then the lady scanned it again. No go. Um, I look over and I see Letty in one of the other kind of passport immigration booths and he got let through. And then Guy and Fraser kind of came behind me and both tried. And then all three of us, basically, it was just like, no go. And then the immigration guys came out and they said, hey, can we take your passports? We just need to go do some checks. And we're like, yeah, sure. They said, wait, there will be like 10 minutes. And then, yeah, 10 minutes turned into three hours of sitting in this immigration area, basically, just over in a corner. And um yeah we were just like what the hell is going on this this is super weird and this we we're kind of messaging letty and he was like i got through but i'm on my own and it's like he's it's like it's kind of scary because i don't know where you guys are and i'm in russia and you guys are not actually in yet you're still in like that airport limbo land he was kind of stressing out and then yeah this kind of big scary immigration dude came over and he said australians and we're like yeah that's us and then he said, come on in here. So he took us into this white box room, no windows, just good cop, bad cop, sitting behind the desk. And yeah, we looked at the table that it was in the middle and it was basically official deportation papers of the Russian Federation and had our names and signed and stamped and basically was going to send us all on the next flight home. And he just kind of said, what are you doing in Russia? And we, the two boys, Guy and Fraser just froze and mild panic attack and i kind of just said we have the invite we have the paperwork we have the visas we're allowed to be here we're going to camp chaka on this humanitarian visa and he kind of just said you none of you guys exist in any of our systems so yeah he basically said you got a you got a phone call do you know anyone in moscow that can explain to what's happening to me and i we had an amazing fixer who's basically like producer organizer and she was waiting at the baggage carousel already for us um her name was vika legend and she i basically called her handed the phone to him they were basically yelling at each other back and forth in russian didn't sound good but we just let him do it and then i got the phone back she said spend i'll handle it hang up done 
and then he said, go and wait outside. And then, yeah, it was maybe another half an hour and we were just kind of thinking maybe we're getting sent home. And then he came back out and said, it's all been approved. Tried our passport again, ding, going through, made it into Russia. Dude, hectic, hectic. So you're, you you make it into Moscow. Tell us a little bit about the this aesthetic of Moscow because us Americans, you know, we most of us only know this from, uh, you know, James Bond movies and it, it seems very dark or, um, you know, Mission Impossible, something like that. It's like very dark. What's, what's the aesthetic like there? Yeah, to be honest, we landed at... We landed at night and we... We, we kind of got told that uh, because of what was happening in, in the conflict, there was like a lot of, uh, oh, I can't, riots, protests of people opposing what was happening. Um, so we were basically just told, don't, don't go to the city, just go to the airport hotel, have a sleep and don't leave your hotel basically. Just for safety, there was a lot of weird, like, yeah, lots of stuff happening. And you didn't probably didn't want to be a foreigner at that time out in the street. So we, I'm sure I would have been safe, but it was just a bit of a strange. It was literally the night that it all kind of took off. So we kind of went, we went to like a 7-Eleven service station and got some weird lollies that none of us knew what they were. And then, yeah, more or less just kind of went and went to an airport hotel. And that was already... I don't know, 40 hours of travel from then. So basically as soon as we had a bed, all of us just crashed, passed out. Um, and then we woke up the next morning, whatever, eight hours later, and basically had to go straight back to the airport to get on our next 10 hour flight to Kamchatka. So yeah, had a little quick, quick power nap and we didn't really get to see too much of Russia. I, I, I genuinely would have loved to go, see Moscow city and the red square. And I've heard it's an incredible city to cruise around in, but just the time and where we were and how quickly we had to kind of leave and go straight to Kamchatka. We, um, we have, we just trying to keep the low profile and I would hate two of us to go wandering and something happened and then we couldn't have done the project. So, um, but yeah, everyone was super friendly that we met and yeah. Um, it was a short kind of, probably only like 12 hours in Moscow. And then we were back at the airport and getting on a plane again. In and out. Now you're, you're flying to Kamchatka. What, what is your first uh, feeling when you, when you see the, the landscape flying into this airport? Oh, far out. Kamchatka. One of the, I've flown into some pretty cool areas and islands and countries. And that is insane. Like you're, flying in the plane and there's these volcanoes that are 3000 meter high volcanoes, which is ginormous. And the planes like kind of going in between the volcanoes because they're so high and you're looking and there's smoke coming out of that one. And that one's like kind of ash burnt down it. And you, like, it was, yeah, that was an insane flight into Moscow. Everything was covered in, into Kamchatka. Everything was covered in snow volcanoes everywhere mind was already like exploding um and then we like landed and the the they when you land they tell you 
welcome to Kamchatka Airport. And then she said, it's minus 16 degrees Celsius, which is like, I need to find these in Fahrenheit. But yeah, that's like crazy cold. Um, and we basically were there and walked out, went and got our bags. It was pretty weird, weird airport, like middle of nowhere. And um, Anton and Max had actually come to meet us at the, um, at, at the exit. And basically straight away, Anton was like, hey, I know you've been traveling for three days, like 60 plus hours of travel. But he's like, there's actually good weather. It's been stormy for a few weeks, but he's like, there's two foot clean waves. And if you want to surf, we can go straight to the beach and go for a surf. So Anton has a, a cabin and he actually has like a surf camp on the only beach that you can drive to in winter. It's like the only road to a beach on that whole coastline. Loaded up the truck, everyone got in and we just, after three days of travel, we drove probably an hour and a half from the airport to his cabin on the beach. And we were just upon arrival, pumping two, three foot beach break, blue sky, snow everywhere. Um, just, yeah, straight away off to just like this crazy start of like, holy shit, there's, there's good waves here and we're the only ones surfing. What a dream. And, and the whole time you really don't know what the surf is going to be, even if you're even going to be with, with surf. So you get there right away, there's surf and the, your, your, your talent, uh, Letty, and I'm sorry, your other friend's name. Fraser. Fraser. They, um, they get into the new wetsuit gear and you all had only really tried it in ice baths as I understand. And tell us how, how they reacted in that first session. Yeah. Yeah. I think like we were, we did a whole bunch of research and design and development with the project blank wetsuits. But at the end of the day, you can do all the ice baths and all the planning you want. But once you get up there and you get in the water and the water's that cold, yeah it's it's pretty much just like you can't prepare for it it's cold no matter what and it, it's like a punch in the face and you get a big brain freeze every time you get in the water but um yeah i don't know we love it and definitely the boys were pretty wobbly in their first surf or their first few surfs it's hard to surf in seven mil boots and gloves and thick wetsuits but yeah eventually they kind of got used to it and they got a groove and um i think yeah definitely some of the surfing that you see them doing in that kind of they're, they're ripping and they're, they're doing airs and trip like big turns. And I think if you think at the back of your mind, the amount of rubber that they're wearing and how cold it is, they're actually surfing incredibly. So hats off to, to those boys. Well, yeah, that was, that was what I, my, my next thought, they're pulling 360 air reverses, landing them. Uh, it, I, I, I saw the footage. Absolutely incredible. Um, okay. So you're, you, you, this is kind of you, your home base is a beach break with a cabin. I mean, what a setup. So is that where you got a lot of the footage or was it then like, okay, we have, um, we have to go explore to get, to get more stuff. And how, how did that go as far as um, the helicopter rides? Cause I understand you, you, you couldn't just get up in the helicopter, just unlimited flight time. You had to really dial it down and plan it. So how, how did that work? Yeah, so the trip was split between three three kind of base camps. So Max put us up in his lodge up in the mountains, which was like on a good day, it was like a two-hour, maybe three-hour drive from the cabin on the beach. 
on a bad day, it was like six plus hours because the roads are just covered in snow. Uh, sometimes you have to get a snowmobile. Yeah, it's, everything up there is just a logistical nightmare. So we spent a lot of time at the the lodge. It was pretty luxury. We had our like our own cabin. It had, a, had like a hot, like a natural hot tub that was heated from the volcano, which was crazy. Um, had a little snowboard run. So we'd get to snowboard on the days off. And um, yeah, we were, we were living, living a pretty good life in that cabin and that area. So that was a third of the trip. Another third, we were at Anton's cabin and that was kind of the total opposite. It was no power, no water. Yeah, just in a little bus cabin that was heated by a fire. And um, yeah, that was epic because it was literally on the beach. So if we ever wanted to surf the beach break, we were right there and it was the most, like you literally just run out of your cabin into the, straight into the water. Uh, and then the last third of the trip, we were camping. So on the, we'd look at the swell charts and if we really wanted to drop it and we, the helicopters were so expensive and yeah, it was, we really wanted to make sure that it was going to be on. We basically would plan it. We'd all get in the helicopter. The helicopter would drop us to the coastline, which was, um, down of where we down the coastline of where we were. That's basically no man's land. No one has been down there to surf, no roads, no nothing. Um, they would drop us to a bay where we knew that there was waves. Um, Anton kind of knew from summer that there was waves and they'd leave us with tents, camping gear, food, survival gear, surfboards, and let us fend for ourselves for a few days. Um, so yeah, that was basically our sleeping arrangements and between those three, we kind of, yeah, just made it, made it work for the different swells and the different conditions and, um, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome having those guys on board and they were so giving and caring and just gave everything they could to make this project happen for us. So when they dropped you at these, at, at the, the obscure location for three days and are you able to call for help do you have a radio is there what's what's your yeah we had a sat phone um and max would come with us or anton would always come with us like the local surfer um the like the helicopters can't fly in bad weather so basically you are on your own potentially for a while if if they can't fly to get you if they can fly and it's nice weather, they'll come straight straight from there and then drop you back to the lodge. But if it's bad weather or it's wind, too windy, the helicopters can't fly. So you are on your own. So yeah, we had plenty of food. We had pretty good tents. We had heaps of warm gear, um, had a satellite phone. So you can always call someone, but probably no one can actually help you if the weather's bad. Um, yeah, more or less on our own when we did those trips and pretty hard to dry a wet wetsuit when it's, yeah, minus temperatures and snow and you have to surf for a few days. Um, but yeah, always crazy experience, crazy adventure. The boys had never camped in the snow. I've done like very little, guys done very little, but yeah, Letty and Fraser had never, never camped in the snow and we were doing it for nights and nights on end and yeah. It was so fun. Crazy experience. So I want to hone in on the safety aspect because there's a, a part to your story that really kind of stood out to me. And I, I, I'm, I'm a water photographer. I swim. 
I've never swum in any of these conditions. And anytime I go out, I'm always like purely like what's going on here. And what I saw in this footage was just raw and scary. And there was a particular part where we're the weather's coming in. And I want you to kind of lay this up for us. Um, they're sending flares out and and guys swimming. Okay. And guy hadn't ever swum photos. I, I, I think you're on the beach possibly with a long lens and, and guys in the water surfing the boys and you and he is in a spot he shouldn't be. And he gets washed into just like a raw zone. Um, can, can you tell us that story? Cause that blew my mind. Yeah. So we kind of spotted this massive swell on the charts and back to the start, I was saying like, we saw these, this coastline gets like two, two huge swells in the space of winter. And we kind of thought we're only here for two months. If, if a swell that big pops up, we have to jump on the opportunity. So same thing, the, the following days of the swell, the wind swung off Siberia and blast everything off. We, we saw that on the chart. So yeah, we chartered these helicopters. It's, it's a huge risk and um, a very expensive endeavor getting the choppers. We only had a few hours of helicopter time for the whole trip. So we had to pick our battles and yeah, basically chartered the chopper, filled it up. It, they, they're massive. They're like a flying school bus. These things we fit we put a boat in there. We put a skate, like a snowmobile skidoo in there, 12 surfboards, tents, camping gear, food, probably like 10 of us. And they just fly over these volcanoes. It's, it's, it was crazy. Can't even explain it. Took it to the coast and it was, yeah, we basically biggest swell, bigger than the day after the biggest swell where it was all clean. And we were all looking at, looking out the door of the helicopter as we were flying down the coast and, I just, I was filming and I kind of just hear Fraser start yelling and he was like, holy shit, there's, there's this crazy left. We're looking down and we just see this left, like spit, big tube, big slab, spitting barrels. Um, I don't know. It looked like Indonesia or Tahiti or something. And we kind of didn't really know how big it was or how, what it was underneath it. There was so many unanswered questions, but we just said, like told the, told the helicopter pilot, let's land in that bay where that left is and landed on the beach all had a look and I don't know, we've seen good waves all over the world and it looked not perfect, but it looked like a pretty good barreling slab. So the boys got their wetsuits on um, guy decided to, it was a kilometer out to sea and it was a really cold day. So guy decided to paddle uh, Anton's longboard out to the slab and like take photos sitting off the longboard. Cause I don't think you would have been able to swim out there. It was, it was really far. And um, yeah, basically, yeah. Guy took the longboard and it was kind of the pioneer session. It was, yeah, it was crazy. It was like six to eight foot slab, green bush, chopu looking, but more dark and dangerous and gnarly. And the boys got flogged on a few. They made a few barrels. Uh, I think just the expectation of the waves that we were we thought we were going to get, even when we were pitching to the brands, that one session just kind of blew everything out of the park. Um, so much crazier and wilder and bigger and scarier than any of us imagined. Um, and then, yeah, this one set came through and guy was taking photos in the water with the longboard. And I don't think he really saw it coming and it basically just took him in the lip and 
Um, yeah, he went over the falls. His leg board, leg rope of the longboard got wrapped around a rock. He was kind of held underwater in freezing temperatures. Wetsuit filled up with water. Pretty much thought he was going to drown. Um, he's an incredible waterman and he's taken photos and swam in some of the wildest waves all over the world. So for him, for that something like that to happen to him and uh, it was, I knew it was pretty serious and yeah, kind of eventually got to the beach after maybe like an hour of struggle and paddling back against the rip and the helicopter pilots were lighting flares because there was weather coming in and we had to get out of there. We weren't camping on that trip. We had to leave. Um, otherwise the helicopter was leaving without us and the boys couldn't really get in and it was just kind of chaos and yeah, guy got to the beach and kind of broke down in tears and um, yeah, thought he was going to die. thought he was going to drown. And I basically just had my camera and put it on my hip and left it recording and let, just had to document the whole thing, made sure it was okay, but then just, yeah, got it for the film. And yeah, one of those moments, it was, it was kind of a hard thing to, to film. I kind of just wanted to make sure he was all good. But now I think it is probably one of the most powerful scenes of the film because it really shows how serious that it was, what we were doing and how quickly something goes wrong we could be in a lot of trouble yeah it's so so incredibly hectic and, and scary and I, uh leading up to this interview i heard him in a, in a previous interview and he he was just so mad i think that he didn't get the proper shot that he thought he was going to get of, of one of your guys in the barrel and i thought that was just like what a true champion artist like epic so you guys is this the place you went back to, to really score the last day of the trip? Yeah. Yep. We, we did. We, um, we tried, <laughs> you'll see in the film if, yeah, if people haven't watched it, we, uh, we basically, we got this pioneer session and we probably only had like an hour of surfing on that first session. And we kind of just thought, Hey, if we can get back here a little bit better direction, a little bit smaller, even, this wave would be insane. And I still think to this day, if anyone wants to go and surf that wave, you could, you could score that so good and so much better than we did, but we just flipped it and went on the big, big swell and spotted it out of a helicopter and had a crack. But if you had time and money and resources and yeah, you're a bit of a psycho surfer, you could get some insane waves in a pretty unique part of the world. Epic. And that, that last story, can, can you, can you build that? Because you guys thought you were going to really score with the storm that was coming in. And you, this is the one I believe where you packed the boat and you, you were camping overnight and it was an intense storm that came through and you're all just like surviving praying the next morning is, is the, is the, is it. Um, how, how, how was that night? Cause that just seems so um, raw. You have, there's no one around. Your gear's in another tent. You almost feel it sounds like the tent was going to blow away. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, pretty crazy. So basically three days left of the trip. We kind of thought we were going to wrap it up. And yeah, we had a pretty good run. We got some good waves. Amazing story. Yeah, we were, we were pumped. And basically just this swell the second swell of winter kind of popped up right at the tail end of our trip. And we were just like, we can't just sit 
around and not chase it. So we were already out of helicopter time. We were over budget. We basically begged and pleaded that um, our producer back in Australia, his name's Luke Neller, shout out to him because he was basically running the show from back here. But yeah, we basically just begged that we could do one more trip and promise the world and said we were going to score. And yeah, we kind of convinced him. We loaded up the helicopter, flew out that day. And um, yeah, we kind of like, we knew that there was a bit of a storm coming in because it was a big swell, but we kind of just totally undergunned it. And yeah, I think we surfed the first day we landed. Now that I'm th- now that I'm remembering, we surfed the first day and it was small and it was fun. It was kind of like three, four foot sets maybe and kind of clean. And the second day was meant to be like six to eight foot and big and clean. And we were just like, after the first surf, we were frothing a couple little tubes and came back in. The helicopter left that day. So that was one of the days where it would leave us and we'd be camping and then set up all the tents, had some dinner. And then Max got a call basically saying like, we've got some shit weather coming in. Everyone's got to kind of prepare the tents. You build like a snow wall, bury all the um, pegs, but he just said it's going to be windy and pretty miserable. And yeah, we just got hit by crazy a crazy storm it's probably like i don't know 100 kilometer plus winds maybe like 100 miles plus winds um snowing chaos loud um our gear tent we had all the camera gear and the food and survival gear basically just got totally flattened it was just squashed on the ground um our tents were just shaking all night and they would kind of compress on top of us off to view and yeah it was a wild night we were kind of i don't know pretty scary definitely on our own and yeah just hoping that the tents kind of held in there but we were we were we were warm but it was just you just hope your tent doesn't rip or break because then you're in a bit of trouble but we kind of knew that that storm was bringing in the the big swell and just waited out and yeah woke up the next morning and it was just the wind was kind of still kind of howling so windy probably too windy to surf and the swell was just like nowhere near as big as what it was meant to be um it was clean but it was still like yeah 50 kilometer offshore wind so you can't really surf when it's that windy um we decided to load up the boat we we brought a boat this time as you're saying little rubber ducky um and do you call them rubber duckies there no but um, we we do now (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah little little rubber blow up boat with like a motor on the back and um and yeah just tried to go out and surf actually a different wave in the same bay and the boys just got absolutely flogged just so windy still pretty solid pretty slabby freezing cold um yeah it was just kind of dangerous we shouldn't have probably even gone out but we kind of like hey we're, we're here we spent all that money we didn't want to just totally get humbled and surf that side of the bay for a bit. And then we went back to surf the left that we tried to surf and got flogged there. And basically then it just went turbo the wind again, like crazy offshore. We almost couldn't drive the boat back to the beach because it was too much wind. It was just like, didn't even want to move forward. So that was kind of when it, when it, we were just like, this is way too dangerous and got into the beach and yeah, kind of just accepted defeat. But then yeah, 
got together as a team and just said, Hey, we had the craziest trip. Doesn't matter. We didn't get eight foot barrels on the redemption surf. Still had a good time, crazy adventure. And yeah, I think that's kind of resonated with people more that it's just like, it's all part of it and nature one. And yeah, we weren't sour about it. It was just was what it was and still got to make a, make a cool movie of the adventure. It just, just so epic. And just a technical question. How, how was it that you, you get these shots where you're on a track? Like, like, is that, is that a um, part of your process? Cause you're going through these ice blocks with the surfer in slow-mo and guys, you got to check this out. I mean, the artistry here is absolutely incredible. And I guess my question is, did you develop this style there or was it kind of like, okay, I have these tools. I, I have it in the back of my head. Um, I mean, the style in this movie is out of control. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I think I had a few dream shots that I wanted to get, but that one, that one shot was pretty on the fly. I just kind of made that up as I was there. I, so one morning for context, we, Anton said, Hey, I know this kind of secret river mouth. You need to drive on a snowmobile for a, a few kilometers. Um, and yeah, there's this wave that I know about that should be pretty fun. And basically we loaded up the snowmobiles early in the morning before sunrise drove basically in the dark, freezing cold to this ice, to this beach. And basically the whole beach was covered in these like massive chunks of ice. Um, as you'll see in the film and we were kind of like, wow, that's like the coolest scene for like a surf film is the whole beach is covered in ice. And it was, it was a fun wave. It was like a two foot little point break and the boys were surfing good. So yeah, we kind of got some shots of the ice in, in the um, foreground, the boys surfing the background. And I was kind of like, I know I can do this a little bit cooler and a little bit better. So my idea was we had the snowmobile there and I had a gimbal, which is basically like a steady camera. And I would, I had our mate Art who was just kind of helping. He, he would drive the snowmobile and I would sit on the back of the, I would sit on the back of the snowmobile with the gimbal. And as soon as I saw one of the boys paddling for a wave, I'd say, go, go, go. And we would drive like full speed and track the same speed as the boys that were surfing. So we'd have the ice, ice in the middle the boys surfing in the background and we would be moving like with them at the same time. And yeah, it was kind of a lot of trial and error. It was um, heaps of failure, heaps of times the boys paddled and got off away and pulled off a wave. And then we'd just have to turn around and go again. But yeah, I think there was two or three when we timed it well, the boys surfed good. And yeah, we are uh, made for some pretty unique shots. And I think just, just yeah, genius, genius footage, bro. Okay. Genius. Thank you. How do you how do you decide when you are like okay I'm gonna shoot water to right now or I'm gonna shoot land what what's that um, process in your mind? Yeah, a few different factors. Like if it's I don't know if it's easy to shoot water and I don't have any water shots, I'll go and shoot water. If it's hard and I don't have any water shots, I probably have to go and shoot water anyway. Um, if I could find a really cool angle from the beach and I know I'm not gonna miss anything uh i'd usually do that i'd usually i try and make sure that i've nailed at least an angle like got a lot of clips until i moved on to something like 
shooting in the water, which is a little bit more risky. You miss a few shots um, or the drone even. Um, I just kind of would, how I was feeling on the day, I'd, I'd usually ask the the boys as well. I'd just be like, what are you guys thinking? Um, this is what I'm thinking. And they might be like, oh, it'd be pretty sick if you shot like side angle. Um, yeah, Letty and Fraser, the surfers are pretty across like surf filming and filming surfing. So they've always got some pretty good input. Um, Guy is has an incredible eye as well. So we bounce off each other a lot and um, get ideas how to creatively shoot things a lot um, off each other. But yeah, there's no like full defining factor. It was just get there on the day and yeah, just see what yeah. we're feeling and see what we want to do. What One particular shout out to a, a pick that sticks in my mind, a, a video clip was the one, I, I believe it's Letty doing that front side air between the two volcanoes. That, that Was that a random occurrence or were you guys trying trying to get that to happen? No, we were trying. We tried for probably like two, two, three days, I think, only on, on sunset because that's when the volcanoes kind of lit up. And the dream shot would be, um, yeah, Letty coming in, all froze up, coming in. And we were, we were like out behind the waves looking back at the shoreline. And we just wanted them to kind of come in and do a big air with the volcanoes in the background. Um, lit up with the sun that was the dream shot um heaps of trial and error same thing sometimes they would do an air and they would be way over there or they'd have a perfect section and they wouldn't do a good air or i don't know framing on the camera was off so many things had to come together for a shot like that and then yeah when they did come together and we did get the shot it was um it was pretty special yeah you all nailed that one it was amazing so amazing um uh, an aesthetic question. So you are a man of water. You're in the water all the time. What what kind of water do you just like, just gets you in your soul to shoot? And um, t t not necessarily a location, but more the aesthetic of that water. Yeah, I think lots of different, I kind of like, like anything, but I feel like nice, nice light. You can't beat morning light, like sunset light sunrise light when the water's lit up reflecting backlit kind of coming through waves um it's so good but then on the flip side of that i love like a full tropical rainstorm with those big droplets hitting the hitting the water and coming up and dark sky and yeah it's all it's all epic to me i love all conditions in the water there's 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 definitely more beautiful or more unique or more scary more chilled but I think it's all it's all so fun and just crazy that we get to sometimes do that for a job or a passion even it's even cooler yeah totally um have you spoken with anton or max since you guys have come back and kind of like uh let us know how they are what, what's an update on those guys yeah yeah they're they're um yeah it's i don't know if yeah it, they said business as usual which might be a kind of rude or insensitive thing to say but that's what anton said his his surf camp is kind of popping off up there he's teaching kids to surf and it's so special what he's created up there it's a pretty wild like the four of us growing up in sydney's northern beaches it's warm and chilled and safe and yeah he's just teaching kids to surf in cold and snow and 
wild and they're just smiling and loving it. They just said, Hey, like, we don't care. It's winter, summer, we'll surf anything. So they're just, yeah, tough and so sick that they're just like, he's teaching whole communities how to surf up there and yeah, very special. And then, yeah, Max is, Max is owns his heliboarding lodge up in the mountains and he's still booked out all year round and it's world-class snowboarding and world-class snow. So he's always got people coming up there to enjoy that element of Camp Chucker. Um, so yeah, they're good. We still talk to them heaps. Uh, Anton probably messages us every week and checks in and yeah, after spending two months with him, we really like one of our best mates. They, they must be very proud and excited to be part of uh, such a great project and see it have such great success. Yeah. Yeah. They're pumped. They're yeah. They can't believe it. Can't believe what we created. They're, they're so happy that we just committed and we're like, likewise, we're so happy that we met them and they, they gave us their time and their resources. And yeah, we've kind of got, got friends for life after that trip. Beautiful. Um, what what is what is uh next for you uh, what what are you what are you um feeling next yeah i it's it's kind of a hard one we're not we're not totally ready to jump straight back into a big feature i've kind of had a pretty big year this year between touring the film and i've had a few big kind of travel trips around the world and yeah we We'd, we'd like to do something, but I think it's going to be end of end of next year. We're going to start planning a new project. Um, we've got some ideas. There's some cold remote locations that we know no one surfed before that we're, uh, we've got our eyes on. Um, slowly starting to ignite the flame again, but um, we're still still sitting with this one, still touring this one around in a few locations. Um, but yeah. I'm inspired. I just got to convince the boys to do something else with me. Now, does it have to be cold or let, let me, let me flip this around. I know you've been to a lot of hot places. Um, now there's a lot of big wave spots that are undiscovered that are just mysteries. I, I've spoken with some big wave surfers that have these mystical spots in mind. Like, is that in your realm as far as um, just totally remote big wave spots? Possibly. If you got if you got any good ideas for me, I'll uh, I'll consider it. <laughs> Where um we, I don't know. I I feel like yeah, I, I've done so many warm water destinations, and unless I think I think it's so it's it's so much more story based than story. Like we can have the best wave in the world, but if there's no story, it's just another surf film, I guess. So. I think there needs to be an element of struggle. There needs to be an element of human connection, discovery, adventure. That can be definitely in warm water areas, but I think it's just, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of elements that make a good story and a good film. And um, yeah, I think that's why cold water exploration surf trips kind of are a bit of a hit because you see the struggle, you see a bit of suffering. And then when you do see the little moments of success it's just all the more sweeter well bro you are the spielberg of our surfing uh culture in these times and it's been a a great just respect to um to be able to speak with you and at such an early stage it feels like in, in your career you know you're not even 30 yet so that's really mind-boggling um I'll, before we before we go i want to i want to um 
leave uh, our our listeners with a um, a large question to you. Uh, what is what is your meaning of life from your perspective? Well, that is a good question. Um, yeah, I think I think it changes a lot in different times of my life. But yeah, I think at the moment, just having like meaningful friendships, relationships, um, having passion, you kind of, yeah, I think it's kind of cliche, but you need to be passionate about what you're doing and passionate about life and having something that motivates you to get out of bed in the morning and something you're pumped to be doing. And yeah, I think I'm, I'm so excited about what I get to do most of the time and definitely have some days where it's not as enjoyable as others, but I, I pinch myself a lot and I have a lot of, lot of moments of appreciation and gratitude. And yeah, I just want to keep the dream alive and keep doing these crazy adventures. And yeah, once again, hopefully inspire other people to do cool things and yeah, keep connecting with cool people like you and chatting and sharing the froth and yeah, that's all it's all about. Spencer Frost, it has been an absolute pleasure spending this last hour and a half with you. And I really sincerely cannot wait to see what you do next. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, folks. This has been episode 23 of Speaking From Water with Spencer Frost. And I wish you find your passion today. Uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Spencer, you're the dude, bro. I hope you have a good thank night. You. And and again, thank you. And um, I hope to to be in touch with you in the future. I'll uh I'll let you know when I um when I post it. I'm gonna just freaking cut this thing up as many times as I can, just just spread it out. And um yeah. Good Let's luck. Good luck with the rest of your tour. And um yeah, you're the man. Thanks, dude. Let me know if you need any content. I've got Dropbox folders full of everything if you need yeah anything. yeah as far as like thumbnails i was uh thinking of just like pulling stuff from your instagram and i'll um i'll send my the final thumbnail i think up to you just to make sure that you're cool with it but um that's Sweet. I, I think i can get most of it off the internet you know like video oh, and good. content yeah so you know go with it oh one more question um dude what you're doing with those lifeguards is awesome i'm a i'm a lifeguard on the side and like I found my passion for lifeguarding when I went to Australia in my early years and like, what a great project. What, what is that all about? Yeah, we, so Heli Hansen, the company who sponsored our trip, um, they've actually just partnered with like Australian full-time lifeguards. You you guys have like full-time lifeguards and volunteer yeah. lifeguards yep. there. Yep. Yeah, well, it's not to the, like... we, we do, but it's not like, like we're getting there, I should say, but yes. Okay. Because we've got like the full timers who are like mostly they're like core surfers that didn't really want to get a real job, so they're just doing like lifeguarding. A lot of them are my real good mates, but and then there's like clubbies who are like the weekend warriors who volunteer, and they kind of like the full timers kind of like don't really like the clubbies because they're just anyway. That's just the hierarchy of yeah, Australian life culture. But yeah, 
So Heli Hansen has just come on and sponsored the full-time lifeguards with like incredible gear because it's kind of like world-class gear. And they now they're giving all the lifeguards Heli Hansen lifeguarded branded gear. Uh, and then Heli Hansen reached out to me and Guy and said, like, because obviously we worked with them on this film and they said, hey, can you do a like a production and like a, it's like a kind of a little 60 second hype edit of all the cool shit the lifeguards do wearing Heli Hansen gear. Sick. Very so, yeah, sick. Pretty fun. Nice work. Are, are you involved in lifeguarding at all? I did it when I was really young. I did like, I think like most kids do it here. It's kind of like, I think it, it's like almost mandatory. Like pretty much everyone does a thing called nippers, which is like kids learning water safety and the first aid and everything else like that. Pretty good. It's really good that we have it here. Um, but then I, I kind of stopped, but yeah, we've, we were working with probably like 15 of the lifeguards the last few days and they're all surfer mates from my local town. So, um, yeah, easy talent to work with. Final thought. Are you doing any East coast, uh, premiering? On we the, are on, in Florida tomorrow night. Are, are, are you're going to be in Florida or, or the I'm movies not, premiering? I, uh, guy is actually flown over oh wow wow yeah um, is he we just is did, that uh south carolina or north carolina uh, i'm in uh wrightsville beach north carolina and i i oh. do you know um maybe it was south yeah it might Let be in south it. it was at carolina surf film festival you know do you know those guys yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was that in the Outer Banks? Uh, Mex West Ashley. Oh wow, incredible! Okay, is that right? Sick. Is that near where you were? I hope not. Yeah, it, it was. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, about is it? it? <laughs> yeah, bummer. Um, Ashley. Wait, does it say the town? Uh. Charleston. Okay, Charleston. That's South Carolina. Yeah, that's about three hours south of me. Was Guy there? Oh, okay. Uh, he didn't go to Carolina. They just played it. Um, he's, he's in Florida. Carolina Surf Film Festival played it a couple nights ago. But I'm glad it's not crazy close to you. I would have felt terrible if it was your hometown. <laughs> well, well I, the reason I ask is there's a board riders club here, and they have a film night in the park where all the yeah. local surfers watch films. And I don't, is that, is that something that you guys would want to have? They, they charge money and such. Um, is that something you guys would want to be in? Like how's the distribution? Yeah, we've got a distributor and he has been okay. But basically if I was to be totally transparent, everyone else that's so many people message me and ask, and I'm just, I've just got my hands tied, but yeah. it's, I think it's a 500 us screening fee yeah. for like a private screening so the way that i've kind of said if you can get 50 people to pay ten dollars that covers it but i don't know it's 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 to be honest it's yeah, going yeah. it's going I, to i didn't know if it was advantageous for you i didn't i didn't know if it would be advantageous for you guys. i would like I, I just want people to watch it I, i'm yeah i just don't care about making money on the project when is it going to be released on uh on you know the the prime and such actually meant to be in us on the 15th of november which is next oh okay 
So when I when I talk about this and promote it, I'll say next week they can watch it at their homes on TV. But I heard today that it might be getting pushed back. So I will be, I'll let you know as soon as I know. Okay, cool. Well, um, yeah. dude, I'll let you go. Thank you again very Thank much. You. Peace, bro. Appreciate it. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Lates.